This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky, and I'm riding solo this Monday episode as Nick Horwat is off this week, at least on this episode. He'll be back on Thursday. He's celebrating his birthday, so if you see him or if you want to send him a happy birthday, his birthday was on Sunday, so hopefully he enjoyed his weekend, but we have plenty to talk about. On this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg, obviously the Penguins, two massive games played on Thursday and Friday. We'll talk about both of those games. We'll talk about some of the comments made by each of the coaches of that Thursday matchup. Get into some of the refereeing mishaps because there were plenty of them in both of those games. We'll talk about all that. We have our weekly Pens poll, which of course deals with the NHL trade deadline, which is coming up. Sooner and sooner. It's only two weeks from today. So we'll talk about our Pens poll. We'll talk a little bit about Brock Besser because as of right now, I've seen a lot of things that point to the Penguins and Brock Besser and the Vancouver Canucks in heavy talks for the star-studded right winger. But let's start it all off with the Penguins weekend recap. Think about the fact that going into this weekend, we previewed it on last Thursday's episode. The Penguins were going to have to go to the home of the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions, the Tampa Bay Lightning, play that game, and then 24 hours later, play the number one team in the Metropolitan Division, the Carolina Hurricanes, in Raleigh. Lucky enough, Raleigh ended up being a de facto home game for the Penguins because Penn's Nation showed out in that one. But nonetheless, a back-to-back on the road against two of the top teams in the National Hockey League. At the end of the day, they came out with three out of four possible points. Would have been nice to win both of those. For sure. But coming out with three or four points there, starting the month of March, 1-0-1, you can't really ask for much more from the Pittsburgh Penguins. So let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about each of these games, starting with the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning that happened on Thursday. The Penguins win by a score of 5-1. to one. Let me go down through the goals really quickly before we get into the minutia of the game. First period, Danton Heinen kicks off the scoring with his 12th of the season. There was a solid play by Kasperi Kapanen there on the rush. Of course, Malkin galloping through the neutral zone, something that we saw throughout this entire game against Tampa Bay. Probably the best game that Evgeny Malkin has played since returning from knee surgery this season. He had a three-point outing, and it started on the very first goal. Like I said, he was galloping through the neutral zone, finds Kapanen. Instead of pulling up like Kapanen has done basically the entire season to this point. He goes towards the net, shoots it, and Heinen, being the goal scorer that he is, is right there to bang home the rebound. Penguins take the 1-0 lead on Heinen's 12th. A little bit later in the first period, Crosby notches his 17th goal of the season, and after one, the Penguins are up 2-0. You're feeling pretty good if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, starting off this really tough back-to-back with a good first period. Come out in the second period, Tampa Bay, this was the best period that they had, but the Pittsburgh Penguins were still in it. Pierre-Edouard Belmar scores the lone goal for the Tampa Bay Lightning, his seventh of the season. One of the very few, honestly, one of like the only mistakes that I saw in this game was the turnover there by Chris Letang, and of course, Pat Maroon able to find Belmar, and Belmar in on a breakaway, basically a pseudo half breakaway, is able to beat Tristan Jari. There's nothing Jari can do there. I thought he was pretty solid in this game, but that's a tough one to save. And it's 2-1 to one from there. All of a sudden, later in the second period, Brock McGinn scores his 11th of the season. Nice to see him getting on the score sheet. He scores on a breakaway to beat Andre Vasilevsky. And after two periods, the Penguins had a two-goal lead up 3-1. to one. And then in the third period, of course, the Penguins able to put it away. Evgeny Malkin with an absolutely beautiful sequence, starting with just an absolute massive hit on Belmar in the neutral zone, and then taking the puck, galloping forward on a breakaway, and beating Andre Vasilevsky. Peak vintage Evgeny Malkin, if you've ever seen it. And he scores his 10th goal of the season already in, what, 21 games played, 22 games played? Point being... He was on fire in this one, and of course, even though John Cooper was not on the bench, and we'll get into that, 
the Tampa Bay Lightning down 4-1 to decide to pull the goalie with seven minutes left in the game. I asked Chase Crawshaw, who covers the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Hockey Podcast Network, in all earnest, I was not trying to like dish on him. I really wanted to know, is this something that the Lightning do often? Like When they're down by three goals, do they usually pull the goalie with seven minutes left? Or is it just when it's against the Pittsburgh Penguins? I don't know if he took it the wrong way there because he he said, well, we don't get down this much very often, so there's your answer. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. But still, pulling the goalie with seven minutes left, down three goals, analytically, there's no way that that could be, you know, statistically shown to improve your chances. It, it can't. Because if a team goes seven minutes without hitting an empty net, that's that's pretty embarrassing on the team that's already winning in that game. But the Penguins didn't do that. Jake Gensel notches his 26th goal on the empty net, king of empty nets. And the Penguins win by a score of 5-1. to one. Now, before we get into, obviously, the Corey Perry-Mark Friedman situation in this game, and I'm not going to go over it for too very long because, I mean, it was, what, four or five days ago. Not only that, but the fact is, it's over. It's done. We're going to talk about it a little bit in the second segment with a quick Sully speak. But other than that, The things that I took out of this, one of the best defensive performances of the year by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Their forwards were coming back and helping really well. The forechecking was really good to begin with. Defense, other than that mistake by Chris Letang, I thought they had a near-perfect game. Especially, you know, you look at a guy like Mark Friedman. He's doing his job very well since he stepped into the lineup for Mike Matheson. It's really giving me a lot of pause whenever people say, oh, maybe the Penguins go out and get a defenseman. Why would you do that when you had the same top six defensemen for like four months of the season? They all stayed healthy. One goes out, Friedman comes in, and he has been nothing but steady and solid since he got in. And then you also have to think about the fact that you have P.O. Joseph that is pretty NHL ready to say the least. So I don't think the Penguins go out for a defenseman at the trade deadline, but that's besides the point. Defensively, Really good performance against a really good team in the Tampa Bay Lightning. Only giving up 21 shots. It was a light night for Tristan Jari, which is why I thought that Mike Sullivan was going to let Jari play in that game against the Carolina Hurricanes. He didn't. Instead, it was Casey DeSmith, who had a great performance, and we'll get to that. So, the Penguins, 5-1 to one win. Get out of there relatively unscathed. But there is the small matter of the Corey Perry and Mark Friedman scuffle at the end of the second period. Perry, of course, probably not happy as his entire team was that they were getting embarrassed on home ice by the Pittsburgh Penguins. Takes a big overhand lumberjack slash at Tristan Jari after the whistle. Mark Friedman, being the shit disturber that he is, didn't take too kindly to that. And I saw a couple of different things on social media. I said he chokeslammed him. Somebody else said DDT. Somebody else said... I I don't even know what else somebody else said. But he definitely did... Uh, a WWE move to Corey Perry and put him on his butt. And of course, all hell breaks loose. You see Anthony Sorelli and Brian Russ going at it. And somehow out of that, the Pittsburgh Penguins get a five on three. Now, it's not that they weren't penalized at all. It's just that the Tampa Bay Lightning, one, started it in a very dramatic fashion with that Corey Perry slash. That was a separate penalty. Then, of course, they each got penalties for fighting and 10-minute misconducts or whatever they ended up calling on that. It's been a while, and I don't have my notes in front of me for that specific game. But they each get called for that. Sorelli continues to go after Russ, which is why Sorelli got an extra one. And while you could have said, okay, the refs could have just evened it out there, why would they? The Tampa Bay Lightning, they started it, and they kept going a lot longer than the Pittsburgh Penguins tried to do. So at the end of the day... To me, it made sense. If you ask somebody on the other side of the aisle, I'm sure they wouldn't agree with you. But we'll see. When I looked at that objectively, not as a Penguins fan, you could see how Wes McCauley and his crew came to the conclusion that, yeah, the Penguins are going to end up on a five-on-three because Corey Perry has like four penalties alone. And then Anthony Sorelli was just going way beyond anything that he needed to do. Obviously, there was the, the dueling roughing with Rust and Sorelli, but like, Sorelli took it to another level. So I understood it. John Cooper did not understand it. He gets tossed from the game. We'll talk about that in the second segment. But at the end of the day, listen, refereeing is going to be bad. And the Penguins saw that on Saturday where, once again, the game was just, from the start, completely mishandled from an official standpoint. So let's move over to that game while we're already on it. 
Let's talk about it a little bit. Penguins lose 3-2 to two to the Carolina Hurricanes on Friday in overtime. They did have a good first period. Let's go through the goals really quickly. First period, Jake Gensel starts the scoring on a play that was really started by Sidney Crosby behind the net. I don't know how many times I have said that in my life, but it has to exceed a thousand at this point. A beautiful play by Sidney Crosby behind the net. I don't know how he knew where Marcus Pedersen was. It's just one of those things where you look at it and you say, well, yep, that's, you know, that's Sidney Crosby. That's what happens when Sidney Crosby is on his game as he has been, honestly, this entire season, but specifically the past month, he has been an, on an absolute tear, just doing crazy things, and his point pace is right along with that. But a beautiful pass to Marcus Pedersen, who sends it down for a nice deflection by Jake Gensel. He scores with a goalie in the net. He beats Andy Ranta, and the Penguins had a 1-0 lead on Gensel's 27th of the season. Crosby says, you know what? I might as well add to that, and Gensel gets him back with a beautiful pass a little bit later in the first period. Sidney Crosby notches his 18th goal of the season as he drops down to one knee for a patented Crosby one-timer right in the heart of the defense. And that makes goals in three straight games for Sidney Crosby. Now, I know there's always a comparison, Crosby and Ovechkin. I'm not going to get into that. I think that comparison is honestly stupid because they're completely different players. Crosby's not a pure goal scorer. Crosby is just an all-around 100% top five player in the history of the game. Does everything. But if he can get his goal scoring going like we have seen every once in a while, like this is a guy that has had a 50-goal season in his career. If he gets going like that, then he becomes unstoppable. We're starting to see that right now. Basically, since he scored that 500th goal against the Philadelphia Flyers, he started to score more goals and started to rip it more himself. And it might be, you know, it's just in response to the fact that he wanted the game-winning goal in that game. Chris Letang decided to look him off, and he said, you know what? I'm just going to come out and score every game the rest of the season. And he hasn't done that, but he has been on fire as of late. Like I said, goals in three straight. That goal was his 18th of the season. And then after the first period, the Penguins have a 2 to nothing lead. The same exact place that they were at 24 hours before against a good opponent on the road. The only difference being you have Casey DeSmith in net. Now, all of us, of course, watch DeSmith starts on bated breath, waiting for that time, especially this season, that he just gives up an egregious goal and it costs the Pittsburgh Penguins in a big way. That didn't come in this game for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Casey DeSmith played absolutely phenomenally, and I'll talk about it a little bit after I get through the goal discussions. He has earned his a spot as the backup goaltender for the Pittsburgh Penguins, in my opinion. I think if you look at the way that they have deployed Casey DeSmith the last couple of weeks, the response that he has had in those games, I don't think you need a backup goaltender unless you get him as well as a winger or in the same deal as you bring over a winger. But I also think that that would just make the cost too much. So in, in my opinion, Casey DeSmith should be the backup goaltender for the Pittsburgh Penguins for the rest of this season. After that, obviously you can go out and, and do what you will as it's going to be an interesting off season. But I feel like Casey DeSmith, especially like that's a hard game to come into second half of a back-to-back it was an emotional game against the, the Tampa Bay lightning. So, you know, your team is not going to be on their a game the entire way. And they were in the first period, but if you look at the second and third period, the Penguins were not on their game. And the reason they got to overtime and they held on was because of a really good play by Casey DeSmith between the pipes. So giving him quick accolades before we jump back into this. Second period, Jordan Stahl, former Pittsburgh Penguin, as it always seems to be, he scores his seventh goal of the season and it's 2-1. to one. That's where we are at going into the third period. And then, of course, Jordan Stahl once again scores a goal, his eighth of the season, to tie things up. And at that point, the Carolina Hurricanes had all of the momentum going. The Penguins had a couple of, of decent opportunities in the third. But for the most part, the Carolina Hurricanes dominated the second period and the third period of this game. The Penguins did good enough job to get into overtime, to get the pity point, which is very important, especially in the month of March, where they're going to be playing a lot of really good teams that are in playoff positioning right now. So being able to get the point on the road against Carolina, it's good. It helps. Would have liked to get the win, but as we all saw in overtime on the power play, Andrei Svechnikov notches his 23rd of the season, sends the Penguins home with just the pity point, but still sends the Penguins home with a Saturday and Sunday off and three out of four points in a hellish back-to-back. -back. One of the toughest back-to-backs that you could potentially schedule in the NHL at this point of the season. 
So the Penguins get three out of four points there. They get a couple days off before, obviously, their Tuesday matchup coming up tomorrow against the Florida Panthers. Yet again, great opponents. But we'll talk about all that a little bit later. Let's finish off this game against Carolina really quickly. Like I said, the Penguins in the second and third period just didn't have it. You know, they had played four nearly perfect periods against some of the best competition in the National Hockey League. And then they crumbled in the last 40 minutes there. Look at the second period. 33.33% of the scoring chances, not good. 18% of the high danger chances for, very not good. And only 21% of the expected goals for. Basically, they got completely shelled in the second period. The fact that they were still up a goal after that type of performance at 5-on-5 in the second period, again, just goes to show you that Casey DeSmith was on his game in this one. Third period, they improved a little bit in some areas. They didn't in scoring chances for. They had 25% of the scoring chances in the third. 33% of the high danger chances, so almost doubled from what the second period was. And again, over doubled what the expected goals for were, 46.52. But yet again, where it counted on the scoreboard, they lost one to nothing in the third. That's what sent it to overtime. That's what allowed for the whole Chris Letang, Vinny Trocek situation. And that's what allowed the Carolina Hurricanes to come back win this game, take the two points, and extend their lead on the Pittsburgh Penguins in the Metropolitan Division. So let me talk about that really quickly before we get into my overall weekend thoughts and look briefly ahead at what the Penguins are looking at for this week's schedule. The penalties at the end of regulation and overtime. I understand that the referees, for the most part, had the whistles put away. You know, From the very get-go, it seemed like, okay, they're going to let this game play out like a playoff game, where they're not going to be calling very much. You're going to have to do something egregious to get a penalty. And I get that the timing of calling a penalty with two minutes left in regulation and two minutes left in overtime on the same team, not ideal. Not ideal. Once again, it is basically the referees inserting their will into a game, changing the outcome of a game based on their calls. And I understand people are upset about that. I understand people use that to say, oh, wow, John Cooper, Penguins get all the calls. Penguins aren't penalized. What is this crap a day later? I understand that. But when the two penalties are so blatantly egregious, I mean, first and foremost, just get this out of the way. Evgeny Malkin was on the ice very early, very early. And it was bad luck for the Penguins that the puck went over there and it ended up being a six on five. But that was egregious. That was clearly a penalty. So you can't fault the stripes for that one. The Trocheck one is a little bit closer. But in my eyes, it's the same thing. Obviously, Latang goes and hits Trocheck. Okay, clean hit. Trocheck doesn't like it. Hits Latang in the head. Okay, the way they've called this game, they're not going to call that. Latang goes back, cross checks Trocheck. They didn't call that. They didn't call the, the retaliatory cross check on Latang. They were going to let that go and be like, okay, this is this is what we've been calling all night. We're going to let it go. You get your shot back. You get your revenge, and that's it. And then Latang slashes him in the midsection, hits him in the head again, and Trocek doesn't respond. That's when it becomes egregious. And that's why, as you'll hear in the second segment, that's why Mike Sullivan said, yeah, Chris Latang needs to be under control there. He was not happy with the call, but still, Latang needs to understand the circumstance. You're in overtime against a talented team. You can't be doing stuff that in their eyes could be seen as a penalty. You got your hit back. Understandably, you're upset. But you got to keep it under control. You got your cross check. They were going to let that go. But the extra slash, the extra punch to the top of the head of Vinny Trocek, that's what got him the penalty. So in my eyes, I didn't think that that was horrible. I thought that that was pretty fair. I thought that if they would have called the initial cross check from Latang the second he went back after Trocek, that would have been bad. That would have been on my soapbox here about how it went directly against the Penguins. But when he gets three hits to one, even though Trocek started it, it's a tale as old as time. They don't take the person that starts it. They take the person that takes it to the next level. And that's what Chris Letang did. So that's my overall thoughts on that situation. We'll talk a little bit about the response to that in the second segment. That's what I want to get into. The response by two coaches and why I absolutely love Mike Sullivan. We'll talk about that after the break. But before we get there, I want to give my overall weekend thoughts. And there's one thing 
that I haven't talked about that really stands out. That's Kasperi Kapanen. You know, every episode in the past two months, you've heard me and Horwat go in on Kapanen. We're done with him. I need to see life from him. I think he's crap. Maybe you should bench him. Maybe you should trade him. We'll see what happens with it. But I actually saw some life from Kasperi Kapanen, which made me happy. Now, he did make mistakes. One of the biggest ones being on the second Jordan Stahl game on Friday night against the Carolina Hurricanes, leading to the tie game in the third period. A bad job by him on, on the boards in his own end. It has to be cleared there. But I did see some life. I did see the assist on the first goal of the weekend in Tampa Bay. Went to the net. I did see him attack the net against the Carolina Hurricanes. I saw a little bit of life in Kasperi Kapanen, which is something I haven't been able to say for the past three months. So you know what? Good on him. Because seeing that made me a little hopeful that there's still some sort of drive left in that human being, in that hockey player. It's better, but it's still not what the Penguins need. They need a little bit more from Kasperi Kapanen. He can't just be a guy that, oh, we saw a sign of life on him. Oh, he went to the net. Oh, he got an assist. That's great. That's that's what we need. And then still be the guy that, that allows the turnover that turns into the tying goal and eventually game that you lose because if he would have cleared the puck, it probably would have still been a 2-1 to one Penguins victory the way that Casey DeSmith had been playing. So it's better, but the Penguins need more still. I'm going to ask for more still because the line for him... First of all, he set the bar very high with his performance in the preseason. Obviously, understandably, nobody really expected him to stay at that level throughout the entire season. It's impossible to do that in an 82-game season. But he has been so far below expectation for every single game that you just need more. You need more. Let me talk quickly about the rest of March. Obviously, this week... Two big games for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Tuesday night at home against the Florida Panthers. And then a couple days off and Friday night at home against the Jack Eichel-led Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to be two difficult games. But at least this time, they're not back-to-backs. And this time, they're at PPG Paints Arena. Now, you would think that that is a clear advantage for the Pittsburgh Penguins, who in the past couple seasons have been one of the best home teams. They aren't this year. They need to prove that they can beat the good teams on their own ice this year. This is a perfect opportunity to do that. Florida on Tuesday. Penguins looking to win the season series against the Panthers. That is no small thing, considering how good the Florida Panthers have been this season. Now, the Penguins and the Panthers have not met since November, so very different teams. I mean, if you look at them, Mason Marchment was basically not even a thought at that point. I don't believe he was even on their team because they picked him up on waivers this year, and now he's one of their best players. So, very different teams going into Tuesday than the last time that they played back in November. They've played twice so far. Both games needed extra time to determine the winner. First one, of course, was the second game of the season. The Penguins had a large lead in the third period, a multi-goal lead in the third period. That is a game that Casey DeSmith was starting. And they lost 5-4 to four in overtime down in Sunrise, Florida. Okay. You know, happens. You got the point. That's great. Second game in November back at PPG Paints Arena. Penguins able to win that one 3-2 to two in a shootout. Tristan Jari in net for that one. That was the first game that Jari won in a shootout. And you saw the big fist bumps because at that point, we did not think that Jari could win in a shootout. But he did. And since then, he's been electric. I expect Jari to be in net for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I Honestly, the way that he's been playing, I expect it to be a great performance by Tristan Jari because that is what he has done this season. He has grown the expectations to the point where he is, he's a Vezina caliber guy. We've said it all the time. You hear everybody say it all throughout Penguins Twitter, all throughout Penguins podcast land. So it should be a good matchup there. I'm excited to see Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights. He scored a nice game winner on Sunday in the later stages of a third period for the Vegas Golden Knights. They're starting to pick up steam. So that should be a good matchup as well. But you look at the rest of the month. It's not going to be easy for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Historically... The March of the Penguins is usually the best month for the Sidney Crosby-led Pittsburgh Penguins. His entire career, March has been great. They've ramped up to the beginning of the playoffs so well in the history of the Crosby-Malkin era. It's, they're going to have their work cut out for them in this one. 
They're 1-0-1, which is a good start against two really good teams. But like I said, Panthers, Golden Knights this week. Then they have Carolina at Nashville at St. Louis is their next three games. So again, you're playing really good competition. And if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins, you have to hope that iron is going to sharpen iron. And by the time April rolls around, the Pittsburgh Penguins are in the best position possible to go out there and roll full steam ahead into the Stanley Cup playoffs in 2022. We'll have to obviously talk about all these games as they happen and talk about possible playoff positioning because Carolina could be a potential matchup. The Rangers are the matchup that it seems like, honestly, as of right now, probably 75% chance that the Penguins match up against the Rangers. Barring anything miraculous happening for either of those teams or any other team in the division, obviously. Like if Washington goes on a run, if Carolina goes on a drought. Barring anything like that, it's probably going to be Penguins-Rangers, which is going to be fun. But Igor Shesterkin is going to be main villain number one, the Penguins Twitter. But... We will obviously cover all of that as it happens. I'm going to take a quick break right now. When I return, a quick Sully speak, and then we'll talk about some accolades that the Pittsburgh Penguins and some achievements that the Pittsburgh Penguins reached over the weekend. We'll be right back. The NHL season has been packed with dirty dangles, hat tricks, and big wins. As the action rolls on, DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has your shot to win big too. New customers can bet just $1 on any team to get $150 in free bets if they win. That's right, a bump in the win column for your team means free bets for you. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you still have a shot to light the lamp. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN, bet just $1 on any NHL team, and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. Obviously, we talked about uh, both games last week. The Tampa Bay Lightning, Carolina Hurricanes, and how officiating made its way into both of them. More so in the first one against the Lightning than in the second one. Of course, it cost the Penguins in the second one, but as I already talked about, felt like it was a little warranted in that one. But one thing that I want to discuss, not about the actual calls themselves, but about the response by certain coaches. First, let's let's listen to a soundbite from Tampa Bay Lightning coach John Cooper after Thursday night's matchup against the Pittsburgh Penguins, one in which he was thrown out and tossed and ejected from the game by Wes McCauley. Let's listen in. It was shock that we were shorthanded. Um, you know, that team, they don't take, for some reason, they're by far the lowest penalized team in the league. I'm not sure why, but they are. And, and uh, you know, for us to go down again, to be short out of, out of that situation, it was a little frustrating. But, you know, the the uh, number four goes over and, and uh, he goes to their bench and gives them an explanation, whatever he did, never came to ours. So now... You know, I would have, would have liked courtesy there, but I'm just, I'm not so sure in all the years, like what I said is something like he'd never heard before in his history of refing. So I, I want to know what that was. Um, and you know, like, you know, I've, as a, as a head coach, you, know, you have a duty to, you know, coach the game and and you know at times you do get a little emotional and stuff like that but like I said I not, not I don't know what I invented that had me tossed out but. 
number four, saw it that way, I guess. What was the explanation you got for the extra penalty? Was it? I don't know. I got it. It was an arm pointing to the exit. That was the explanation I got. There, I guess, asked their coach. He got an explanation. I didn't. Can you say entitlement? Because that is what I got from John Cooper right there. First of all, Wes McCauley is the most recognizable referee in the entire National Hockey League. He sits there and says, "Yeah, number four called me out. Number four, what, what, what explanation did I get?" Oh, I got an arm pointing to the exit. It just sounded like a kid who got his toy taken away. Like, come on. And one of the main things that he did say in that one is, as a head coach in this hockey league, your job is to coach the team. That's why you got ejected, buddy. Like, it's not because of anything you said. And the fact that he's saying, oh, I don't know what I said that he hasn't. I mean, we could all read your lips. It was pretty clear what you were saying. And no, he's probably heard way worse than that. But your job, as you stated, is to coach the hockey team. And Wes McCauley at that point is probably thinking, this game is already off the rails. And partially that is because of the officials in that game. But how do you get it back under control? You have to call it on one side, which is what they did. They called it on one side to try to put a stop to the scuffles. And when you see a coach acting like that, I'm sure Wes McCauley's thinking, I don't think that he is currently capable in the state of mind that he is in to coach his hockey team to where this game will be under control. So he tossed them. I would have done the same thing. I don't believe that this game will settle down as long as that guy is behind the bench. So he tossed them. And then hearing that statement saying, oh, the Penguins, for some reason, are are the lowest penalized team by a wide margin in the National Hockey League. Dude, this is just sour grapes. I've never seen a a bigger sore loser as far as a head coach than John Cooper. Now, understandably, they don't lose very often. That's because they're such a good team. And he is a good coach. But you wonder why when this team gets down, they start acting like a bunch of eighth graders. They got put in timeout. Because it comes from the top down. John Cooper is a former lawyer that's very publicized every time that he's in a nationally televised game. Former lawyer that can't handle losing, that does not know how to handle losing. He's entitled, that entire organization is entitled, and I'm not saying the Penguins organization isn't, because there are times that you can tell that the fan base, everything is entitled, understandably. That's what comes with winning. That's what happens. That's where Tampa Bay is at right now. They haven't lost a playoff series since 2019. There's a certain entitlement that goes there. But the way that John Cooper responded to being tossed from the game, saying, oh, I didn't say anything that bad, realizing, not being able to realize, he might realize it, but not being able to admit that I got tossed because the referees had no faith in me to be able to calm my team down. They did not believe John Cooper was going to be able to keep his team under control. Even more so, they thought John Cooper being behind the bench would make his team more out of control. That's why he got tossed. And then the whole penalties thing, Okay, well, when your team employs a guy like Corey Perry, who clearly came down like he's trying to chop wood on the goaltender's glove and then goes at it, there's a reason there's extra penalties on your team. Because that's the way you coach them. I wanted to compare that to what Mike Sullivan said after the game on Saturday, where an official's call, whether it right or wrong, I thought it was the right call. I'm in the minority of Penguins Twitter. But I thought it was the right call. But it was a call that decided the game, and it was a call that had question that was questionable. Here's what Sullivan said. Does Chris need to keep his cool a little bit more in that situation, or given the situation, do you think it was maybe a little unfair that only one guy was sent to the box? I think the answer to the question is both. Chris has to keep his cool. They're going to call it the way they see it. I saw it differently. Now, clearly he's upset. He's upset with the way the game ended. He's upset that his team did not come away with the win in that one. But here are the things that he did that make me realize that I would much prefer to have Mike Sullivan behind the bench of my team if I was a general manager than a guy like John Cooper. They're both, listen, they're both fantastic head coaches. But the reasons that I would rather have Sully back there he holds his player accountable. It was on the tank. 
and he's holding him accountable for that. Latang is a leader on this team. He said Chris has to keep his cool. Understandable. He does disagree with the call. He thinks it should have been coincidental. I thought there was a little bit more in Latang, which is why I kind of understood it in that situation. He disagrees with the call, but he doesn't go out there and say, you know, number four. He didn't, you know, I wanted an explanation. Number four went out there, made it, made a, made a show of it. All I got was a finger to the door. He said, I disagreed with it. They didn't see it the same way. Oh, well. And you know what? He moved on. By answering the question the way he did, there was no further questioning. That was a 20-second clip. If you include the questions by DK and Josh Yoey, it's a 26-second clip. John Cooper went on a minute and a half, 90-second rant, even longer than that, probably like a two-minute rant about how it's not fair, how he needed an explanation, how this, how that. Sullivan said, you know what? I'm holding my player accountable. He needed to keep his cool. I didn't agree with the call, but that was the call. We're moving on. That's why I like Mike Sullivan more. That's why I would take Mike Sullivan more. That's why I, if I was a player, I'd ride into battle for Mike Sullivan way harder than I'd ride into battle for a guy like John Cooper. So that's my two cents on it. I might have given it a little bit more credence, a little bit more time than I probably even should have. But oh well. That's it for the Sully Speak for this one. I just wanted to point out why I think Mike Sullivan is a, is a much better coach in my opinion. They're both fantastic coaches. But I would rather have Sullivan simply because of the way that, that those answers, those questions were answered 24 hours apart. Before we keep going, there are a couple accolades for some Pittsburgh Penguins over the weekend. Sidney Crosby. Scored the game-winning goal on Thursday against the Tampa Bay Lightning for his first period goal. That breaks a tie with Mario Lemieux for second all-time in the Pittsburgh Penguins history in game-winning goals. He is now tied with Evgeny Malkin in second place in franchise history. Only three behind Yarmir Yager. So both Malkin and Crosby are going to pass Yarmir Yager in game-winning goals. They're both going to get at least three more in their career. I think that much is obvious. The question now becomes, which of them does it? Well, I think Crosby's going to play longer. So I, I think that that answers the question right there. I think Crosby is able to play longer than Malkin will be. I, th I think Malkin has shown us that he is far from done in this league. That's what he's shown us so far this season. But I do think that Sidney Crosby's longevity will outlast Evgeny Malkin's. So I think Crosby will have this record by the end of his career. Just, you know, another feather in the cap, or if you watched Wheel of Fortune last week, feather in your map uh, for Sidney Crosby. So congratulations to him. Passing Mario Lemieux, no small thing. That wasn't the end of Lemieux dropping in franchise records over the weekend. Chris Letang was able to pass Mario Lemieux, this time in games played. Letang played his 916th career game against the Carolina Hurricanes. That broke a tie with Mario Lemieux to put Letang into third place all time in Pittsburgh Penguins history. Only behind Evgeny Malkin with 961 and Sidney Crosby with 1,084. So now the top three Pittsburgh Penguins when it comes to games played and longevity, at least regular season games played, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang. When I saw that, I had one thought that went through my mind. I think people need to respect Chris Letang a little bit more when it comes to the historical context of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, obviously, not many people disagree that he has been the best Penguins defenseman for the past decade, which is no small feat in its own right. But I think we need to start realizing that, yes, Paul Coffey, overall, all in all, was probably a better player. Not probably. Paul Coffey was a better player than Chris Letang. But for what Chris Letang has done for this franchise... He's the best defenseman in the history of the Pittsburgh Penguins. I have bounced back and forth. Listen, I was, if you would have talked to me back in 2015, 2016, I was heavily against Chris Letang. I thought he stunk. I said, this guy stinks. He's overrated. You grow to appreciate it. You grow to be able to look at the full body work and also think about what he's done the past seven seasons. He has continued to improve and then just stay at that line into his mid-30s, the style of play that he plays, it's very hard to continue to do that into your mid-30s. Look at Eric Carlson. 
Yeah, maybe his ceiling was way higher than Chris Letang. That's fine. But Eric Carlson has been trash since 2016. He's been bad. Like, there have been some seasons that he's, like, obviously injuries play into it. But that's the thing. It is hard to stay healthy. It is hard to play the way that these type of defensemen play. 27, 28 minutes a night. And do that into your mid-30s. Crystal Tang's been able to do that. He's played in more games than anybody in Penguins history other than Malkin and Crosby. He's played more games than Mario Lemieux. And it's not like Latang hasn't been without his injuries. I mean, the guy literally had a stroke at the age of, what, 26? And the fact that he's been able to come back, do all these things. He's a three-time Stanley Cup champion. We've had this discussion on this podcast before, and Horwat and I have argued back and forth about it. I don't have any more questions about it. He's going to have his number retired. At the end of the day, the numbers that are going to be retired as of right now, you know, pending number retirements and current ones, obviously Michelle Briere, Mario Lemieux, they're already up there. Yarmir Yager, he's 50 and still playing hockey. The second he's done, his number's going up there. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang. I'm more confident in Letang's number going up there than, than Fleury's. And everybody knows how much I like Marc-Andre Fleury. I'm way more confident that Chris Letang's number is going up there. So I just think that's that's the point I wanted to make. Just a little bit more respect on the name of Chris Letang is all I ask. I know I've had to respect him a lot more than I used to. I know I do respect him a lot more than I used to. And I do think that his number deserves to be retired. Going to take one last quick break, but when I return, we'll talk about the Pens poll, some trade deadline discussion. And I do want to throw in a little discussion about Brock Besser because it seems like he might be at the top of Ron Hextall's wish list. We'll be right back. Hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network as well as DraftKings. Make sure you use promo code THPN when you visit the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Again, that's promo code THPN. Let's talk about our weekly Pens poll. And then we'll get into Brock Besser a little bit because we did not have him in the poll. And I kind of regret that. I would have liked to see what you guys thought, our listeners and our followers. But maybe we'll throw him in this week's. The question for last week, though, was which of these three players would you rather see the Penguins trade for in the next three weeks? Now, at that point, it was three. Now it's two weeks to the NHL trade deadline, and the Penguins have yet to make a move. The results of that poll were JT Miller, far and above first place, 55% of the vote for the former Pittsburgh kid, or Pittsburgh area kid, we should say. JT Miller's having a fantastic season for the Vancouver Canucks. He is... Not who I voted for in this one, but 100%, if the Penguins were able to get JT Miller, they would be much more respected as Stanley Cup favorites, especially for the season he's having. Then you have a little bit of little bit of separation there between him and second and third place. Second place is Phil Kessel. What this basically told me is Penguins Nation still has a deep-rooted respect and love for Phil the Thrill, which, not that I didn't already know that, but 20% of the people voted to bring back Phil Kessel. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think it would work. I think if you look at the way that he exited, I understand, you know, Jim Rutherford's gone, which I don't think Rutherford was any of the issue, but it's still Mike Sullivan. They butted heads. It's still Evgeny Malkin. They butted heads. And also, Phil Kessel, for, for all of his successes and for all of his accolades and for all of his skill set, He's not a defensive hockey player. He's not. He never was. And I think this team, way more so than the teams in 2016 and 2017, need defensively responsible forwards. So I'm I'm not for bringing Phil Kessel back, but I do understand it. I do get the love. I do get the admiration for Phil the Thrill. So 20% of you said to bring Phil back. I don't quite agree. 19% are on the same train as me and bring in Victor Olofsson 
from Buffalo. Now, I talked to friend of the show, Doug Gladkey, and he said, you know what? He's just too much of a power play specialist. Well, in Buffalo, I, yeah, he is historically. His numbers suggest that he is really good on the power play, not great at five on five, where the fact is he's not going to be on the power play here. He's not. There's, there's five guys already. Evan Rodriguez makes six that are all on that top power play unit. Olafson's not getting onto that unit if he comes to Pittsburgh. But also, his greatest production at 5-on-5 five five was when playing with Jack Eichel a couple years back. And since then, who has he had as his centers? I mean, is Peyton Krebs? I don't even think he's on the same line. I think Krebs is with Tuck. Who are his centers? Nobody of real consequence. They're Buffalo Sabres centers. You put them on the right side of Evgeny Malkin with Danton Heinen on the other side, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more five-on-five production. That's why I like him. And I'm hoping that's why 19% of you also liked him. I hope you, you listened to me and you liked my thoughts. If not, I like that you agree with me. So I'm with the 19% here. I also like JT Miller. I threw in Brandon Hagel as a nod to Dougie who I already spoke about. 6% of the vote went to Brandon Hagel, of course. Young player from the Chicago Blackhawks. We talked about him on last Monday's episode. Only 23 years old. $1.5 million salary cap hit. Signed out for a couple more years. The contract, I like more than I like the player. It would remind me of a Dominic Cahoon for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, coming from the same team, around the same age, with roughly the same contract, and has found roughly the same amount of success with the Chicago Blackhawks organization. So I do like Hagel. I love his contract. I love how old he is. I love his potential. I don't think he's what this team needs right now. I think that there are better options. Now, if they ended up bringing in Hagel, I think it would be a fit. I think it would be a a keen move to make by Ron Hextall and company. But I think there are better fits. I like Olofsson in there more. I like JT Miller coming in more. I like Brock Besser coming in more. That takes us to a discussion about him because, you know, I've mentioned him three times, and it's because when trade deadline comes around, me and Doug Gladkey text each other like 30 times a day. So that's why I've been mentioning him so much, because we talk so much about this. He sent me a quick video of Rick Dollywall, who is obviously a writer for The Athletic out in Vancouver, discussing the fact that Brock Besser most likely going to be traded from the Vancouver Canucks before the deadline. And when asked where, he said there have been very extensive talks with the Pittsburgh Penguins. They're deeply rooted talks with the Pittsburgh Penguins to acquire Brock Besser. Now, in my opinion, obviously, Besser is not having the better season of him and and JT Miller. I think Miller is the more dangerous guy. But if you look at Brock Besser, he hasn't had a bad season. He's not a bad player. What does Evgeny Malkin need on his wing? Obviously, somebody other than Kasperi Kapton. But deeply rooted, the answer is a shooter. That's why Danton Heinen is starting to find success. That's why Heinen and Malkin are being able to play well with each other. They need somebody on the right side that will also complement that with the complementing skill set. Brock Besser has that skill set. He is not blazing saddles fast like Kasperi Kapanen. But he has a better shot. He's a much better finisher. The one thing that might have been missing since 2017, since the Penguins went on that run, is somebody with Prince Charming good looks. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe you lost Carl Hagelin, you lost the mojo. Bring back a Brock Besser. Maybe you, you reinvent something. I don't know. But the point being... If the Penguins are able to acquire Brock Besser, now I don't know what it would take. Something tells me Poulin or Legere, especially considering the management staff out there is Patrick Alvine and Jim Rutherford. I would think that they would want probably one of Poulin or Legere, or who knows, maybe even a Hollander. The point is they're going to want one of the Penguins' top prospects. It's a very shallow pool there. I mean, that's... That's more shallow than a kiddie pool when you look at the Penguins' prospect mill. But they're going to want one of those guys. They're probably going to want a first-round pick. And probably another piece. 
you know, knowing Alvin and knowing where the Vancouver Canucks are, they do have Thatcher Demko, who has been really good this year. Maybe they want one of Callie Klang or Joel Blomqvist. The Penguins stud goaltending prospects that are playing over in Europe right now. I don't know what the return is. The point being, I really do like the Brock Besser move. I think if the Penguins were to get, and we talked about it last last week, if the Penguins were to get one of Besser, Miller, or Garland, who's also out there, Connor Garland, I'm not mad at any of those moves. <laughs> I like all of those moves. Of all of them, I would probably have to say Miller. I'd love to have JT Miller on this team. I think he does so much for that team in Vancouver that he could bring over to Pittsburgh and it would make them lights out. But again, I wouldn't be mad with Brock Besser. I would not be mad to have Brock Besser on this team. Could you imagine a Besser, Malkin, Heinen second line? It'd be pretty. It'd be pretty. Two weeks until the deadline. We'll see how it unfolds. One thing that I think is pretty clear at this point is the Penguins are not going to hold Pat. I mean, last year, they brought in Jeff Carter. They said, ah, that was the reward for the guys for playing so well throughout the season. They're way more impressive this year. I mean, they were great last year. They are very impressive as a team this year. I think they deserve a reward, Ron. And I think that reward, if it comes in the form of a JT Miller, a Brock Besser, a Victor Olofsson, you're working with money there. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Thank you so much for tuning in. Horat will be back on Thursday as we break down the Sidney Crosby audiobook, Rookie Year. We'll talk about that and much more as the Penguins get ready at that point for the Vegas Golden Knights. But that's going to do it for this one. We'll see you guys on Thursday. Have a great week, Pens fans. You can follow us on Twitter at NickHorwat41 and at Nick underscore Berlansky. You can also follow the show's Twitter handle at Iceberg Podcast. This podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts from, so please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at the HockeyPodcastNetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.